The only activities we did were in bars, always having people over for to, to party. Um, we would meet up in the bars. Then our apartment was the uh, after party place. So that's where the that's where the party favors would come out and we would stay up all night. Then the next morning it, I, we were just worthless and then we would start the whole party again. It wasn't very productive. But first, a word from our sponsors. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the Man Whore Podcast. Shout out to the sober sluts, to the clear-headed cucks, and to all the wangs on the wagon. This is Billy Presida, and you're listening to the Man Whore Podcast. Welcome, welcome to my weekly series of sex-positive conversations. Been coming at you every Wednesday for over nine years. And this week on the podcast, I have got on author and sober sexpert, Tawny Lara. Her new book, Dry Humping, is... Uh, just dropped this week. You can pick that up in the link in the show notes, playfully referred to as the schnotes here on the show. Uh, we got a great conversation coming to you soon about sobriety, about mindful sexuality, about dry dating, getting married and being bi and more. Before I get to my guest this week, Tawny Lara, let's do a quick fan horror appreciation moment. This is the part of the podcast where I have to give a shout out to the members of my fan horror community on Patreon. Thank you for supporting the podcast, not only with your downloads, but also with your dollars. Right now, I want to say a big thank you to Dylan Morace, or or Dylan, if I if instead we should say. Bedankt dat je een sexy supporter bent. Yeah, bedankt dat je een sexy supporter bent. Yeah, thank that thing. You know what I said, I think. Uh, appreciate it. And a shout out to Kelsey Osler, coming from a place of abundance. I love it when we come. Oh, so hard with abundance, but also like philosophically, you know, ditch the scarcity mindset. So good on you. Thanks for supporting the pod and giving me a little bit more abundance in my life. And you too can become a member for as little as $2 a month and enjoy a slew of great rewards, including tomorrow's <laughs> movie night. We'll be watching Taboo 2 starring Kay Parker. That's going to be at 9.15 p.m. Eastern Time in the Champagne Room, our Discord server, patrons only. And I probably shouldn't even tell you this. I sent out a, a, an email blast last week. But look, there is a right, – right now, you can get a seven-day free trial of the Patreon experience, which means you can come to Hot Movie Night tomorrow for free. Go to patreon.com slash podcast or download the Patreon app and find me on there. You can sign up for a seven-day free trial. Join us for a hot movie night. Check out some bonus episodes. The free trial offer uh, will expire after hot movie night tomorrow night. Get on it soon. 
My guest this week, Tawny Lara. She's got a new book out now. It's called Dry Humping, A Guide to Dating, Relating, and Hooking Up Without the Booze. Tawny is a leading voice in the sober sexuality space. She has an advice column. She does a lot of writing about sober sexuality. She has her own podcast called Recovery Rocks, mixing recovery talk with rock and roll. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what else to say here. Uh, I'm not one for big lavish intros usually i'm just gonna kind of be like yo let's go enjoy my conversation with tawny lara if you're struggling to lose weight you've probably heard about weight loss medications like wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you meet plush care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey if you qualify they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home to get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. The whole let's grab a drink is like the is the most basic, simple first date idea, right? And I mean, I'm not knocking it. I'm just I'm challenging people to be a little bit more creative, think outside the box, and you know, not rely so much on liquid courage to calm your nerves. And give sober dating or dry dating a shot. Yeah, but like I, I, but I also don't feel like I need to have like a word, like a sober curious for it. I mean, unless that's a, just a fun SEO term. Totally, and you know, sober curious may not apply to you. You know, there's also some people are just normies. Some people just don't drink, you, mm. or some people um, just either they don't drink or they can take alcohol or leave it. I was never like that. I I drank until I blacked out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what's what was really interesting to me while researching this book was how many, quote unquote, normies were interested in this conversation, like people who still drink alcohol, were interested in drinking less on dates, drinking less with their partners. And yeah, that that really, really shocked me. Yeah, I never really was one to want to mix my vices with my dates, gambling, weed very dangerous things for me to mix with my dating because i'm not going to be a good date like if i took a chick to the casino i'm nervous i'm going to like zone her out if i'm down if i'm down it's like no 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 we can't go get food okay we're stuck and we stay here till we get it back or lose it all or uh or if it's weed i just get like useless you know i i love that perspective actually and i'm glad that you you're equating alcohol use with with these other substances because I don't think a lot of people get that. We all have our vices, um, alcohol abuse, gambling, weed, shopping addiction, eating disorders, all this stuff is... Oh my God, a shopping addict. That sounds like a terrible date. Oh, you just want to like go to the yeah. mall and then like watch her <laughs> just break down. I'm carrying bags. I don't know if she can afford that. Yeah, it's just the idea of like mixing your vices and your, and your dating life. I don't want you to see that part of me. Yeah. Oh, you want to play poker? No, I don't want you to see me when I'm losing at poker. I don't yeah. want you to see what that can be. It's ugly. At, at least let's wait until we've been together for six months. Then you can see what it's like. Yeah. Or, or if I see that you can be ugly when you're gambling, maybe we can be ugly gamblers together. So but... that's called trauma bonding. And I do not recommend that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Especially if it's gambling. Like, yeah, we'll... <laughs> We'll be a cute couple on the road panhandling for for slot machine money. It's like <laughs> Yeah, that that doesn't sound like the healthiest relationship, not going to lie. I bet not. I bet not. You know, I mean, I assume have you dated other alcoholics? I have. Yeah, you know, when I quit, when I first quit drinking, 
I dated people who drank occasionally, um, but I actually, I met my, my partner. Or now we just got Your engaged. Fiance. My fiance. I'm still learning to use the word fiance. We got engaged two weeks ago. He's also in recovery. So I'm so glad that we, we share that because it really is, it's like we speak the same language. Mm-hmm. When you were still drinking and black and out and such, were you have have you had relationships with people who also drank like that? Oh my god, a hundred percent. That's what all of my relationships were. I mean, I was a bartender, party girl, so my relationships began in bars. Like they were either regulars, they were people. Um, I was either behind the bar or getting served at the bar or dancing on the bar. To be mm. completely honest, um, so I met people, my friends, my partners, my sexual partners, everyone I met in the bar. Um, and all of those drunken relationships were very toxic, very unhealthy. And I look back on that girl and I just want to be like, I just want to give her a hug because she was just so, she was sick. You know, um, now I know why I was, I was binge drinking. I was self-medicating anxiety and depression and PTSD, but I didn't have that language. So I just partied because it was fun and I didn't feel anything. Well, what, what did those relationships look like with, you know, with those people? They were, you know, they, anything from physically abusive, verbally abusive. Uh, the only thing we, the only activities we did were in bars, always having people over for, to, to party. Um, we would meet up in the bars. Then our apartment was the uh, after party place. So that's where the, that's where the party favors would come out and we would stay up all night. And then the next morning, it, I, we were just worthless. And then we would start the whole party again. Hmm. What, it wasn't what very were, productive. Did you, did like did any of them turn into long term dysfunctional yeah. relationships? Some, you know, everything I just described that could describe my hookups, that could describe long term relationships. I li- I lived with a partner. Um, I was in all of the yeah. I mean, and there were like I said, all these people were either bartenders like me or they were my regulars. So we had drinking in common. So that really just set, set the stage for what our relationship was. Mm -hmm. And, and back then, what was like the difference between having sex drunk under the influence versus sex sober? So there, there's a lot of differences that I discuss in my book, but I will say, one big one was that when I drank, I my drunk sex, it was largely performative. Mm-hmm. I was trying to be this version of myself that I thought I should be. So that also translated in in you know real life and in the bedroom and on dates. So when I say performative, I mean doing certain positions that I thought would make me look cool, would make guys like me more. Um, I would fake orgasms because Wait, I thought. What, what position did you think guys would like more? One of those like unrealistic oh, porn positions. Oh, basically, I didn't understand that porn was acting and entertainment. Like I knew that mm-hmm. I knew it was acting. I guess I didn't understand it was entertainment. I thought that that was what sex was supposed to be. So I tried to recreate it with the fake orgasms and the crazy positions and just doing all sorts of crazy stuff you know and i had a good time i'm not i'm not knocking that that chapter of my life i had a good time don't get me wrong but i was not feeling pleasure the way that i feel now largely because alcohol dulls your dulls your nervous system i mean you're 
you're quite literally not feeling certain things from alcohol. Right. What what was sober sex like for you back then? At first it was terrifying to be completely honest. At first I was I was like I don't know what the fuck to do. I don't know how to I don't know how to date, let alone have sex. Like I don't know how to do any of this. Um so I will say I spent a significant amount of time single in my early sobriety, really working on myself, getting to know myself, and that alone time really helped improve my sober sex experiences because I learned more learning about myself helped me advocate for myself in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. And by and an example of that is like the first time I actually had sober sex, I remember telling them like, you know, I had, I had been seeing them for, you know, like a month. And so they knew I was sober, but I was just like, okay, I'm ready to, to have sex. I want to go slow. I need to take my time. I might need to pause. I don't know what this is going to be like, but I'm really nervous. And they were just like, totally understandable. Don't worry about it. And I felt really supported. I felt seen and heard and respected, which are three words I would have never used <laughs> for my drunk sex. Yeah. Something else about you is, uh, you know, you're, you're bisexual, but it's, it sounds like you were able to finally explore that after getting sober. And I feel like it's usually the opposite. Usually people, yeah. <laughs> they test the bisexuality like only when they're wasted as a, as an excuse mechanism. So what was that about? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I knew that I was attracted to all genders when I was 14 and I'm going to take you back. I was 14 watching TRL, watching um, the, the Lenny Kravitz music video for again. And I, it was him and Gina Gershon. And I was like, whoa, they're, I want to make out with both of them. It's like these, they're both hot. Um, and I'm very grateful that I have uh, two queer family members. So I'd never internalized any or any of those feelings. I never felt any shame. I just knew that it was, I knew it was okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm very grateful for that. But something that I didn't know was that I didn't have any, I didn't have a bi community at all until I got sober, until I relocated to New York and I got sober, actually. Well, real um, quick, the sobriety, I, I know the times is pretty close together, but did you get sober, then move here from Texas, or did you uh, 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 move here and then get sober? I moved here and I got sober four months later. Okay, because yeah, because out in tech, like, in, were you still in Waco? Did you had you moved to a, a city by then? I was in I was in Waco for the majority of the time. I moved to a, a, a Houston suburb for okay. about a year. But like, but there's not going to be a lot of bi community out there. Is no, what I'm getting I, at. So like, when you get here, sober or not sober, you're like, this is probably where you're going to find the like minded exactly. people with purple hair. Well, exactly. I had I found my political awakening, my sexuality awakening. I my mental health, like, I mean, everything I, I, I was just fully awakened when I moved here and all of these things coincided at the same time. So I, I owe a lot of that self-discovery to getting sober, but I think I owe more of it to just moving, <laughs> leaving, leaving Texas and moving to a place like New York city. And, and had you hooked up with a woman or like, had you hooked up with a woman before getting sober, before getting to New York? I had, yeah. I I dated women, women, and I'd slept with okay. women, but I'd never, I I'd never had long term. I never had any relationships with women, so I was mm. just I I had internalized my own biphobia of like, well, 
you only date men or like your long-term relationships are with men. You're not really that bi. So I had, I followed, um, you know, on Instagram, I followed a lot of bisexual people. I read, I read about it. I educated myself and I learned that bisexuality, queerness, pansexuality, it really is, it's just attraction and it's Mm -hmm. being attracted to multiple genders you don't, that doesn't mean you act, you don't have to act on any of these impulses, but you can be attracted to all different types of people. Once I understood that, then I felt fully comfortable reclaiming that the word bisexual for myself. Mm-hmm. And where exactly did you find your community when you got here? Was it a book club? Was it a, was it a, a meetup group? Was it, you know, what, what did you, was it a kickball group? Sadly, not a kickball group, although that does sound fun. A bisexual kickball group. Um, <laughs> no, you know, I, my, my day job, I worked, I worked retail for, I actually just left my day job earlier this year. So I, in my retail job, I had many, many bisexual friends and that was so enlightening. And then also just being a sex writer. Um, I connected with lots of New York City bisexual sex writers, and that was so so validating for me. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, like you, you're connecting, but like, are you connecting with this intentionality? Are you like going with, "Hey, I'm bi. I'm looking for some other like queer <laughs> people to be with," or you know what I mean? Like, it was, you know, for me, it was very similar to getting sober. I didn't go to support groups when I first got sober. It was all online. I was I was looking up hashtag sober, hashtag sober curious. Like I found my people on the internet. It was the exact same thing with bisexuality. I just needed to find. I needed visibility. That was the most important thing to me. And then I had my my coworkers who became good friends. You know, we just we talked about bisexuality and queerness, and that was that visibility and that representation really helped me. Um figure out, figure out myself. Mm-hmm. And, and when you figure out yourself, like, what are you doing differently? Did you start dating women more? Are you all fucking up with women? Like what's, what did it end up looking like for you? So, I mean, it, it definitely resulted in me switching my dating app preferences to any. <laughs> and, um, you know, the person that I end up ended up with, um, is a man and, um, you know, bisexuality is this weird, like, they call it an invisible privilege because it's like, it's a privilege because Nick and I could hold hands and go anywhere. And we look like a straight couple, which I acknowledge that privilege, but there's also this invisibility of like, I'm not wearing my queer. It feels like I'm not wearing my queerness on my sleeve. Like I would like to. Right. Like a few people already turned off the podcast because they're like, well, now I've ended up with a man and like, oh yeah, another. Exactly. (laughs) And that's, that's how it is. Um, Whereas if you are, just just gay or just straight right. <laughs> then pe- people really like clearly defined labels and they don't want to think too much so they want to see the queerness they want to be able to see it and like you exactly. can wear unless you're wearing all rainbow they want like they want to see it on you and so like, even if you're bi but like you're with a woman or with like a trans person they they can yeah. see the queerness and thank thank you for understanding that it's 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 it's, it's it's tough, but it's like, again, it's a privilege. It's it's a really weird thing. And then now it's like, we're getting married and we're doing like a lot of this like traditional stuff. And like, I love that. I'm really like, I, I'm fucking obsessed with my engagement ring. I literally just look <laughs> at it 
I look at it and I'm like, oh my God, like this man really fucking loves me. Totally. You know, I, he was very smart. He, he locked down the sober sex expert before book tour. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like when otherwise would be convenient to, yeah. to propose to you. <laughs> well, congratulations on that. How did, how did he pop the question? Um, there is, have you been to Fort Tryon park in like I, way North Manhattan? No, 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 no. Okay. We live in Washington Heights, so this is like our neighborhood. So it is a gorgeous park in North Manhattan. And um, there, there is this part of this park where there's these gorgeous arches. And it feels like I'm in 17th century Europe. It just feels like I'm in another world. Um, and he knows that that's my favorite part of the city. He took me there. And um, quick backstory, I've like low-key proposed to him many times but never in earnest. It's more like, like, let's go to the courthouse today or like stuff like that. He, he takes me to my favorite part of the city. He gets down on one knee, shows me the ring. And he says, is there, you know, he says very romantic things to me. And then the, but the best part is he says, is there anything you want to ask me? And so that's when I got to say, do you want to marry me? So I got to, Technically, I got to propose to him. We proposed to each other. <laughs> very cute. Very cute. It's very so, cute. We're we're gross. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, as someone who wants to be proposed to himself, I appreciate the uh, the the <laughs> the compromise over there. Oh, okay. I love that. I hope that that happens for you too. Yeah, but if my future wife is listening, high stakes. No, don't pass <laughs> it off like you were kidding. I want yeah. I want something YouTube worthy. I want something that like yeah. goes viral because I want choreography. Okay. That's what I want. And some gambling. No, 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 no. That'd be that. If it, <laughs> Gosh, I hope that whoever I'm with, like, I, I won't f- need to do that. Um, yeah. That's my own. It's the problem is I've gone to GA a few times, <clears throat> and I know yeah. you're not, like, a, per, you know, going to the uh, groups person. What I didn't like is that, um, but, like, I couldn't talk outside of my share unless I've got, like, a year under my belt. Also, they call mm. it abstinence. And as a guy who talks about sex for a living, I don't know. <laughs> being like, mm, I'm this many months abstinent. No, thank you. Uh, that is not a hot way. Also, the tension at a Gambler's Anonymous meeting, it feels like a poker game could break out at any minute. Oh, my God. I never thought of that. That makes sense. Sometimes there's a silence. You look around and it's like if one person just be like, I got cards. I feel like it would break. I feel like we'd all... And then I think about what the sex addicts anonymous meeting must be like. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I've I've been to a few of those, but I've only done virtual for that exact reason. Like as a bisexual woman with sex and love addiction issues, the, an SLAA meeting is the last place that I need to be. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that you uh, had SLAA issues. Uh, what was that about? Yeah, um, I. When I when I got sober, I really took a, a hard look at my obviously my relationship with alcohol, but also my relationship with relationships. Um, I I relied on people for external validation. I needed I. Th- this is where a lot of that performance comes in, where I was mm. trying to be this different version of myself instead of taking care of myself. I was always trying to please others, um, and. The, and getting just, I would just be obsessed. I would obsess over these people. And um, a friend of a friend of mine is a sex addict in recovery, and she she likes to say, um, "Some people snort cocaine. I like to snort people." And that's definitely I related to to that hardcore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Uh, and and how was that process for you? You said you did it over Zoom, so it sounds like maybe it was a COVID era thing. Yeah, I I did a lot of Zoom meetings, and I also just read a lot of memoirs, women struggling with sex and love addiction, um, and women just having unhealthy relationships with sex. You know, I know like in our sex writer, sex educator world, there's some issues with the term sex addict. Um, because it is not sex addiction is not recognized in the DSM. So I, I want to acknowledge that. So maybe it's just a semantics thing here, but whether it's sex addict or not, I had compulsive issues with sex and love that, that were problematic and caused me to just be in, just put me in a horrible state of mind. What, what are one or two instances that made you realize that? Um, when I really reflecting on my drunken relationships, like for just if someone didn't answer my phone calls, just like showing up at their house, banging on the door, sobbing, crying. You did that? Oh my God. Yes. Well, I mean, what, what, what is it like in the moment? What do you think you're doing when you do that? Like what's, what's the justification going on in your head? Well, for me, I mean, now after years of recovery and therapy, I can look at it from a distance and I know what was going on. Um, Daddy issues, mommy issues, abandonment issues, inability to trust other people with, with my, with my heart as corny as that sounds. So that when I, when I was, you know, 25 and binge drinking and doing drugs and just hooking up with anyone who gave me attention. I had no idea how to handle all of these really uncomfortable feelings and undiagnosed mental health issues. Mm-hmm. But, it, it, but that's, you know, in retrospect, in the moment, like, can you still remember like where you're at, you know, where you're at in those moments where you decide like, I'm going to, he didn't answer my text. I'm going to go to his, his house. Or I'm going to go to his apartment. Yeah. What in the moment is going through that? Just so if someone's listening, maybe it's something they yeah. can catch and recognize in the moment. Absolutely. I mean, it's for me, it's it kind of like we said earlier, it's control. Mm. It was, uh, you know, codependency is also something that I struggle with. I felt like I needed to control all these people that I was with. So, you know, if they're not answering my phone call, if they're not picking me up when they said they would, I feel out of control. So <laughs> going somewhere and causing a scene is inappropriate and dramatic but at least it's something i can control Mm -hmm. it's something i'm doing and because like i need resolution right now i don't care if you need time i'm thinking like no but i need (laughs) right now i need the resolution or i just can't exist exactly that's exactly it and and i still have those impulses today and my fiance and i we still work through them where you know i (laughs) he'll just he'll lovingly remind me like I can take care of myself. Like, do do you, I'm okay. You don't need to control me. And he's very patient with me. And we're like, we're both in therapy and we both have our own recovery program. So like, that's what I mean when I say we speak the same language. I'm really grateful to have someone who, who, who gets it, you know, and who like, something I talk about in the book is that a lot of people think once I quit drinking, everything will get better. Life will get easier. And for me and a lot of the people I interviewed, that's actually when it gets pretty hard because mm-hmm. when you, if people are relying on alcohol or liquid courage and then they all of a sudden take that away, all this stuff is going to come up that you've been repressing. And that's, that's why, you know, 
support groups, therapy is so, so, so essential when you're in that fragile state. Yeah. And, and, and in those moments where there's high stress, maybe there's a fight, there's an argument, there's uh, something left unknown, you know, whether it's like the status of the relationship is, well, I got to figure it out later or the status of some other decision. It's like, well, I got to think about it. And then we're left there uncomfortably not knowing. Yeah. Um, you know, it I, kills I def- me. It kills me. I've gotten to some ugly places. I think some of the ugliest versions of myself have come out when I'm panicking that I'm about to lose something and, or someone very important to me and I have to wait. Yeah. Yeah. Even still, like there, if Nick and I get into a fight, I want to find resolution right now. Mm-hmm. And he needs some time to decompress, to process, go for a walk. He needs to take care of himself. And we've had to really figure out how to meet each other halfway because I mean, that, there's a chapter in my book about healthy fighting and healthy communication for that exact reason. Like Nick and I spent a significant amount of time figuring out how to have healthy, productive arguments. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, you we were talking a little bit about the bisexuality and then when the engagement came up and, you know, are I don't know if, are y'all monogamous? We are. And is that something you're worried about uh, with your other attractions and uh, maybe not getting to experience certain things you feel like maybe you didn't have enough time to experience before meeting Nick? You know, no, I don't because Nick and I are very, we're monogamous, but we're also very aware (laughs) that we are sexual beings. And if we do become attracted to someone else, we'll talk about it. We'll address it. We'll, we'll, we'll take that next step. But for right now, where we are, we're, we're very happy with it being just us. And who knows, who knows what our future holds, but I know that what Tawny's saying is we're open to threesomes, but we're not like doing anything (laughs) about it right now. We're just enjoying ourselves. (laughs) Basically. if, If you want to have sex with us, please DM me is what I'm saying. How long have you been with Nick? Five years. Uh, you got sober like what, like eight ish years ago? Yeah, November will be eight years. Yeah. And so when when you met Nick and you start dating him, you know, seriously and, and you locked that down, I mean, was was there any panic about oh, I, I didn't I didn't eat enough box yet though? Like was- <laughs> You know, it's it's funny and that's still a recurring joke with us. I was like, I just switched my dating profiles to men and women, and then I find you. So like yeah. what 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 does that mean? So, you know, again, it's, it's the type of thing where like we joke about it and we talk about it, but it's like, if I really find that that's something that I need to do, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll find a way to make it work. I'm, we're not, we're not worried about that. And I, I think that more monogamous couples could benefit from having that perspective of instead of monogamy or bust, just acknowledging there's some gray area. There's nuance. I think if more people in general just acknowledged nuance and gray areas, um, that would be, I think they'd just be happier. Yeah. I'm of the mindset that like more people, I, I believe in more people calling themselves non-monogamous than the amount of people who identify that way in as much as like, yeah, you're monogamous, but do you like once or twice a year, have a threesome? Do you have a thing where like, I mean, I'm not going to freak out if you make out with someone on the dance floor. Guess what? You're you're non-monogamous. You're in the camp. You're in the club. doesn't matter how often you indulge in it. If you, if yes. you do, you are 
you're with you're in this too. Um, I do view it as a binary. You are or are not. Um, <laughs> well, that's fair. But, you know, I, when I hear, when I talk to some of my friends from back home or anyone who doesn't live in our very sexual New York City circle, yeah. um, uh, and I find out like, oh, so-and-so cheated on so-and-so. I'm just like, God, people are still doing that? Like, you know that there's like, you can be in relationships where everyone is 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 happy and fulfilled and there's no secrets or lies and you can just openly talk about this right like it's infidelity just feels so antiquated to me yeah <laughs> at this point in life it's like yeah like you could just change the rules a little bit and, and yeah probably do fine um did yeah. were you non-monogamous before you when you were drinking or was that just blacking out <laughs> no, I mean, I, I definitely had a great time in, in threesomes and doing all sorts of fun stuff. Um, but I was always, you know, I, as like, for being like the sober sex expert, I just like love being in a monogamous relationship, <laughs> straight presenting relationship. Missionary position is my favorite position. Love it. And, you know, I'm just like, I love I love to order other things off the menu at times, of course, but I'm just like it's missionary is just so great. Yeah. Monogamy I mean, is great for us. <laughs> and and I actually don't even know the origin story of you getting into like right, you know, talking about sex so specifically, but I mean, do you and we can get into that in a in a bit, but just do you feel any weirdness about how kind of vanilla normie you might seem based on the current resume or whatever? You know, no. And I think, I think this is going to sound weird. I think maybe some like vanilla normie visibility is important for the sex writer community. Like, um, because people have this idea of sexual liberation, meaning like what we're talking about, making out with strangers on the dance floor, going to orgies, trying all these crazy sex toys. Like, yes, that can absolutely be sexual liberation, but sexual liberation can mean, it really just means feeling liberated sexually. Mm-hmm. So like I used to I used to perform all the time in bed and I don't have to do that anymore. That's my that's my own liberation. So I think it's important for, you know, again, if you could look at sexual liberation as a um as a spectrum instead of just like vanilla or man whore, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know, there's a lot we're like not being super horny. Like I haven't had sex in almost, almost three months. Very long time for me. Not for lack of options. I just haven't like really wanted to. And then I'm like, yeah, but I've got this, ah, this persona or I viewed this way. But it's like, oh, I also could like not be horny. I'm also not super kinky either. Unless like we count anonymous stranger play stuff as kinky. Fine. But like, I'm not into like BDSM. I don't have, I don't know how to do ropes and stuff. I, I also very much enjoy uh, a bunch of variations of missionary, but because I do what I do, because you do for what you do, like mm-hmm. there is this, I feel like this perception put upon us. And then I don't know, again, it sounds like you're fine uh, with, with going against that, but sometimes I do feel a little awkward. Like I'm not living up to something expected of me. I, I, I so appreciate you saying that because it's, I find that validating because I struggle with that too, where I'm just like, oh, well, I'm, I'm a sex writer. I should do this. I should want to do this. I should want to go to that. And I'm just like, but I just don't. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just, and I, again, I think that that's okay. Um, 
in, in my book, there's a section where I interviewed several asexual people who are sober and they talked about how when they were drinking, they tried to make themselves like sex. So they would drink and try to quote unquote, feel normal, um, in their sexual experiences. And then they get sober and they're like, Oh, I actually don't like sex. And they come out as asexual. And that really led to what I'm talking about, about, um, expanding your definition of sexual liberation. Like if coming out as asexual, that is this, that's fucking sexual liberation. Yeah. To not to stop having sex. You don't like that's yes. uh, That's a liberating feeling. Exactly. So it's every, everyone, I just, I really encourage everyone to just stop trying to be (laughs) this person that you think you should be, or that the internet thinks you are and just do whatever the fuck you want to do. Um, as long, as long as it's consensual. (laughs) What was the most ridiculous thing you, you used to do performatively in bed? Probably just faking orgasms. I studied porn to do like, I, I, it was like, I need to, I need to perform this, you know? So I did, I just mimicked what I thought I should do. And it was just, I I was going to say embarrassing. It wasn't embarrassing. Maybe looking back on it, it was, but it just, these, these guys had no idea, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, it was just like, wow, they really, they think, and it's funny. Cause I'm like, wow, they think that that made me come. And I'm like, well, yeah, because you just faked an orgasm. So they're going to think that. I talk to women and every woman I know has faked orgasms. And then I talk to men and they're like, oh, no one's ever faked an orgasm with me. And I'm like, ah. okay, all right, <laughs> LOL. <laughs> to to you saying like, oh, we're not living up to a per- I'm I do still get nervous. If I hook up with someone who knows me mostly, like if I hook up with someone who's like listened to the show a bit, uh, I'm like a little nervous because I'm like, oh, I got to be, I got to be, forget interesting. How about I got to be good? Mm-hmm. So I'm like nervous to be bad in bed with someone because I'm like, oh shit, I'm supposed to know better or something. And, but sometimes it doesn't click. Sometimes, like, hey, what you dig and what I'm able to do does not overlap too well. Uh, and now we're both wet and sweaty and no one came. <laughs> no, that, that's real. When I was dating, I, I definitely dealt with that when people would google me before we went on a, on a date they would read some of my articles first and they would expect a certain version of me and i did not live up to their expectations or they a lot of a lot of men would be like oh so are you going to write about this date and i'm Ugh. just like what do you think this date is noteworthy like do you think there's something that everyone needs to know about that's happening right now uh but yeah i i get it i get that yeah. pressure you know, I know your book, uh, Dry Humping, which is out now. Congratulations on launch week. Uh, dry Humping, you know, I'm sure I know you get into a lot of the the how to's, the what do I do ifs. Let's just give them a tease of like when you're first switching from sober, from from not sober to sober and you finally realize you're ready to start dating or hooking up again. What are some of your like what's two or three tips you give to just get started? Yeah, absolutely. So the the first chapter of my book is called Dating Yourself. Kind of I mentioned that briefly earlier where spending spending time alone to figure out your shit is is essential. Um and I would say even if you're in a long-term relationship and you get sober, dating yourself is still essential. And I'm not talking about bubble baths and skincare. I'm talking about going to therapy, figuring out your shit, 
um, getting creative, doing things that will like working on yourself will, will build what I call intrinsic courage. So you don't have to rely on liquid courage. Mm -hmm. The more, the more time you spend alone, that is going to cultivate this organic confidence. So when you're on a date, when you are having sex sober for the first time, you're not trying to perform. You're not trying to be something else. You're not trying to like, you're not reaching for a drink to feel more courageous. You have, you just have more confidence organically because you're talking about these new hobbies that you have. You, you've identified some of these mental health issues that led to your alcohol abuse. So you're not self-medicating anymore. Like that, that's what I'm talking about when it comes to dating yourself. Um, I feel like I've been dating myself all year and I kind of want to leave myself for somebody else, to be honest with you. (laughs) So they can propose to you. I mean, just because I'm like, I don't think I'm a great, I've been with myself a little too much this year. And just part of me is kind of like, ugh, I want, I want to go find someone fun. Yeah. And, and so you're ready. Billy's ready. You guys. Um, (laughs) Am I? I hope so. (laughs) So like, so when you are in, in that headspace, that's like, there's a whole section of the book with alcohol free date ideas that Mm -hmm. are, um, you know, like spoiler alert, dating is inherently alcohol free. We as a society Uh have just decided to add alcohol into all these different things. Um, so if you're sick of the whole, let's grab a drink, there's literally pages and pages and pages of alcohol free date ideas, whether you are newly sober or sober curious, or you are, um, in a long-term relationship, what if you've been together for 10 years and you guys decide to stop drinking or one of you stops drinking. So I've, I've, I've really, really try to meet people where they are and just remind them that there is a lot of fun to be had without alcohol. Even if you still drink, even if you still drink, I'm, I am not anti-alcohol at yeah. all. It didn't, it's not for me. Um, it was a problem for me. Um, so if you can, if you can have a drink every once in a while, great. But like, you don't need a drink to go to the Met. You can just go to the Met. (laughs) You can just go to the Met, go to the, go to a museum. Like that's really the biggest takeaway of the whole alcohol free dating section is doing experiential dates instead. Mm. Even just going to get coffee is pretty similar to going to get a drink. You're just staring at each other, talking about stuff. Um, where if you go to a museum, if you go to a botanical garden, you're observing something external and that gives you something way more interesting to talk about than where are you from? What do you do for work? Who did you Mm. vote for? (laughs) You know, the amount of ax throwing places in New York city that you can go to and throw a fucking ax together. Yes. Come on now. I mean, it's, it's New York. Like there's so much to do here. And even just in, in, like I grew up in Waco, Texas, like there was not a whole lot to do, but you go to the zoo, go to the park, go like every, every city will have some sort of museum, like just go do something. And your date will probably be a little bit more interesting than just sitting at a coffee shop. Yeah, yeah. Or I like I I, oh, this is a fun one. I heard once I've never done it, but it sounds fun. Ten, twenty dollars, you go to the dollar store. And then you see what each other rounds up. Yes, I love see that's so fun. Or like, go to a vintage clothing store and pick out a piece of clothing for the other person and you wear it for the rest of your date. Like pick, pick out a, go to a bookstore, buy a book for each other. And then you each read the book that you gave each other. And then that's going to also give you some fun text fodder in between mm-hmm. dates. And you'll learn more about that person because that's their favorite book. So it's like, 
you know, just, I'm, and that's something that could also be really fun. Even if you're in a long-term relationship, you yeah. know, these aren't, that could be fun for date one or two. And it could also be fun if you've been together for five years and you want to do something a little different. You know, yeah, sober or not sober, sober curious or not. One thing I think all of us could take away from this message that, you know, you seem to be putting out there with the book is just just a mindfulness, whether you've been together a long time or it's new, just being mindful, sexually Mm -hmm. being mindful, having sex that you want to have, when you want to have it, how you want to have it, dates that are interesting and not rote and not routine, Mm -hmm. like just keeping things fresh and interesting and just finding ideas for something new, something where you don't have to rely on a substance to, to get you there. Um, I, th- I think that's great. Uh, Tawny, I, I know you got to run. I know it's a big press. It's a, it's a big launch day for you, but where can people go to find you, follow you? I'll have a link to your book dry humping, uh, in the notes and people can go pick that up. Uh, but where else can they go for you? Yeah. Um, so I would just head to my, to Instagram, Tawny M Lara. That's where all, all of my work is. Um, I have, you know, you could read my articles, all the link in my bio. Um, I write a a weekly advice column called Beyond Liquid Courage, where people submit questions to me about alcohol-free sex and dating. Mm -hmm. Um, And I co-host a podcast called Recovery Rocks, where we talk about recovery and rock and roll. Recovery and rock and roll? Yeah. Oh, this is like like when uh, when all the rock stars get sober? So my co-host and I, um, Lisa, we are both in recovery. At, we, when we met, we bonded over recovery and rock and roll. So when we started our podcast, we wanted we wanted that to be the theme. So we talk each episode. They're like 20, 25 minutes. We talk about some mental health topic. And then the last couple minutes, we, we give a couple song suggestions that have to do with, with that topic. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. Well, folks, go check out the book. Uh, I hope you'll be a little bit more mindful in your sex and dating lives, even if you're still drinking. Uh, And Tawny, uh, congrats. Thanks again for coming on. And why don't you go ahead and say goodbye to everybody. Thank you for having me. Happy humping. The best place to discuss this week's show is in the episode discussion channel in the Champagne Room. The Champagne Room is our super free, super fun, super sex positive Discord server. Uh, if you're new to the pod because you showed up for Tawny, the Champagne Room is not a man whore podcast server, it is a sex positive server. If you've been looking for a community space, if you've been looking for like-minded people to discuss uh, dating, relationships, sexuality, kink, or video games and music and movies... Join in any one of the many conversations going on in the Champagne Room at manwhorepod.com slash discord. You can always email me your comments, your questions, your criticisms, your titty pictures to manwhorepod at gmail.com. And if you are a member of my fan whore community on Patreon, if you are supporting the podcast, if you're supporting my work with your wallet, uh, or if you're just trying the seven-day free trial, I hope you will join us tomorrow night for the hot movie night. Uh, Doors open at 9.15 p.m. Eastern. The movie is going to start at 9.30. We're watching Taboo 2. Great fucking flick. Hope to see you there. Hope to hear you there. And I hope you stay slutty.